0: Well, we've had a little break in our gathering between chapter 7 and chapter 8 of the book of Genesis, and today I'd like for us to to go ahead and study chapter 8, but before we jump on into it, and since it has been a couple of weeks, um, let's go back and just read our way through chapter 7, just as a refresher as to where we are in the study of this book at this point. So Genesis chapter 7, and we'll go ahead and read through that chapter, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female. Two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters were on the earth. Now, of course, we already studied this chapter a couple weeks back, so I won't comment on it too much. But if you're interested, this teaching uh, on chapter seven is available in its entirety on our website at aloveoutreach.com. But verse ten, verse uh, seven continues though, and says, "So Noah, with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives." went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Now, something I do want to comment on here, though, is that that as I prepared for this teaching, it jumped out to me here where it says that Noah and his family went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. That just kind of jumped out to me, but it's pretty simple here. What it's saying is just the water was rising, and this was a strong indication that it was time to get onto the ark, right? When things are, and what jumped out to me about this, and what this kind of spoke to me was when things are turning south, as they say, and, and it looks like things are getting bad, it's, it's time to run for shelter and safety, right? And that's what, I, what stood out to me here. And as I look at the signs of the times, you know, what's happening in our world today, I believe it's time to run for shelter. It's time to run to salvation. In Noah's case, right, the ark provided salvation from the waters of the flood. Today, right, the water seems to be rising all around us in a sense. I'm using this metaphorically, right? In in other words, wickedness is prevailing. Just look at our nation, this nation, the United States of America. It's in tremendous moral decay. What God has established as righteousness in his word is being mocked all around us. The leaders of our nation today have recently taken a symbol that God uses in the book of Genesis to promise that he will never again destroy the earth with a flood. The symbol of the rainbow, that is, right? They have taken this and they've proudly flaunted it in the face of God and in the face of His Word. And they've lit up our nation's Capitol building, proudly flaunting what the Word of God calls sin, what the Word of God calls an abomination. They're proudly flaunting this and they're spitting directly into the face of God's Holy Word in so doing. So are the waters rising? Is this a sign that destruction is imminent. I believe so, especially for this nation. But I believe there is still hope. The door of salvation is not yet closed. Remember, we talked about the door to the ark closing, right? But the door to salvation is not yet closed. There's still time for people to get on board. But of course, this hope that I speak of, it resides in one place today and in one place alone. And that is by running to the ark of our salvation, which is Jesus Christ. There is hope for the people of this nation. There is hope for the people of this world as a whole. But it is preceded by repentance. A person must repent of their sin. And the Bible tells us, of course, that all have sinned. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, but we all must come to a place of repentance and turn to the living God, Jesus Christ. Now, this is not a new thing, right? This has been the plan of God since the beginning of time. But... What will you do though as you see the waters rising? Will you splash around in these waters? Picture what's happening with Noah here in chapter 7, right? The flood waters are rising. He took off running. He ran to the ark. He ran to salvation. He ran to where he should be, where he needed to be, right? He didn't sit there and play in the waters and, and splash around in the waters, right? He didn't just ignore the height of the waters. He didn't say, oh, that's not affecting my neighborhood. That's not affecting my community yet. Well, it'll be there. It'll be there, right? right? Well, what do we do, right, when the waters begin to rise? Do we build a water park and just have fun and join in with accepting all the debauchery of this world, right? Or, or, or do we run to the ark and do we warn others to do the same? Do we stand for the word of God? If our leaders are spitting in the face of our God, will we continue to support them, right, or not? And in this country, we have the right to, to support them or not, right? We're free to vote, and we're free to say, hey, do you stand for righteousness? Do you stand for the Word of God, or do you stand against the Word of God? And if you do, you're not getting my vote, right? We must stand for righteousness. We must stand for the Word of God, and we must be determined to live in accordance with his will. Where do we find his will? Only in the Word of God. And when we find his will in the Word of God and we see it, we can't just ignore it. We can't just shine it off and say, oh, well, you know, that's okay. No, I'm not too worried about it. No, the waters are rising. It's a sign, right? You see, and all of this hasn't come upon us all of a sudden. Don't think it has, right? It's been happening over a long period of time, but now we see it getting worse quickly. It's that old frog in the the pot of boiling water. If you throw a frog, a live frog, into a pot of boiling water, he's going to jump right back out. But if you put him into a pot of lukewarm water, and then you just gradually turn up the heat, gradually turn up the heat, he'll never jump out because he just gets used to it and he'll boil in there. You know, And that's what we have to be careful of that we don't do in this world, that we don't just become accepting. Even though they may call you a person of hate because you stand for righteousness, because you stand for the Word of God, even though they call all of this that they're doing love and acceptance, it's not God's love. It's not truth of the Word of God, right? But the waters are rising at a rapid pace now. And the door of salvation may very well soon be closed, just as the door to the ark was closed and judgment did come upon the earth. And as was the case with Noah, only the righteous were saved. And the only way that one can become righteous today is through faith in Jesus Christ. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. So just that one verse All that jumped out to me when I read it, right? As I prepared for this teaching. But moving on in verse eight, we'll read on through now. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female. And God had commanded Noah, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, on the very same day Noah and his Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife, And the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two of all flesh, in which is the breath of life. So those that entered male and female of all flesh went in, as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. Noah, or now the flood, was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the the earth and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upwards, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the Spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. I just want to point out something here. It's not in my notes, but this is important when we go on, and I cover something here in just a little while. Notice that life forms are dying. All that has the breath in their nostrils, that's what's dying. That's what's important because we're not talking about the plants and the trees and all of that stuff dying right now. You'll see why, why, why I'm pointing this out to you later, but... Verse 23, so he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Then, verse 1, then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind pass over the earth and the waters subsided. Okay, so Noah and his family went through this great storm, but were kept completely safe through it all. They experienced no personal danger, and they were remembered by God, meaning that they were always on his mind. He's thinking about them. And God thought it was time to to bring this to an end, and he made a wind, it says, to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. Verse 2, the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. So God used the wind to cause the waters to subside, right? The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped. Remember, as we studied a couple weeks ago, the water that flooded the earth was not just from the rain alone, but it also came from beneath the earth and from the bottom of the ocean. There there were and there still are fountains of the deep, right? But we need not worry again about these fountains, nor do we need to worry again about rain flooding the entire earth because God has promised that that will not happen again. But there is another judgment to come. But God will not destroy the earth again with a flood like this. And verse three says, and the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. Now, the water decreased, but it's not completely off the earth. The ark has now rested on the mountains of Ararat here, but it's not all the way down. You'll see that as we go on. But we see the ark, this ark of gopher wood that God instructed Noah to build, has come to its final resting place here on Mount Ararat. Now, Mount Ararat is located in modern-day Turkey. It is now what they call a permanently snow-capped mountain, okay? Its peak is 16,000 feet high. It has been climbed many times and has in recent years. It's been noted that the snow is melting at a very slow pace over many years, but it's still very thick there. It's still a snow-capped mountain. But, you know, this was not a great place for Noah and his family from, a, from the standpoint of the terrain that they've landed on here. But they would, of course, need to descend down the mountain over time to establish their new way of living and, of course, uh, begin the process of replenishing the earth. But it, it is, however, though, a great place for the ark to rest if God wanted to preserve this ark for years to come because it could still be preserved under all of that snow-capped mountain, all of that ice, right? But you know, it must be noted, though, um, that nowhere in the Word of God does it say that the ark will be preserved, and nowhere in the Word of God is there a prophecy that the ark would be found someday, so this is not, that's not in the Bible, Just want to point that out. Now, this does not mean that it's not there any longer, but we must be careful to remember as believers that God instructs us to walk by faith and not by sight. Many people are looking, trying to find the ark, right? Trying to find a way to get there, get beneath all that, see if it's there, right? But we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. You see, I, for one, do not need to see the ark to believe God's word but there have been claims of its sighting and there have been things that have denied those claims as well. But again, we are to walk by faith in God's word because without faith, it is impossible to live a life that is pleasing to God. But you know, a lot can be studied and a lot can be talked about as it pertains to Mount Ararat, right? Geographically and the ark and all of that stuff because Mount Ararat is indeed a real place. And it is indeed the place from where After the great flood, think about it. It was from there that all civilization began again, as we now know, right? But the word of God goes on to tell us here in verse 5 that the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the top of the mountains were seen. So we're seeing a progression, of this water going down. So at this point now, Noah and his family could see the other peaks of the mountains of Ararat. That's what you need to picture Mount Ararat as. It's not just one mountain, it's the mountains of Ararat, right? They're just a series of mountain ranges go there with higher peaks and all that. But Noah and his family are now able to see these other peaks, these other tops, right? So it's, it's what we're getting is a picture that the water is increasingly going down. First the boat rests, and then it's going down, it keeps going down, right? Verse 6, so it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. So you see, they're not even off the ark yet, are they? They're still on the ark. The ark has rested somewhere upon a high point on the mountain, but they haven't got out as of yet. But remember, God had instructed Noah back in chapter 6 to build a window which was just some sort of ventilation or lighting that went around the top part of the ark, right? And of course, with the rain falling, this opening had to be closed up in some way, right? And and we now see here in verse 6 that Noah opens up this window and he sends out a raven. Verse 7, look, then he sent out a raven which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. Now we don't here have anything else about this raven, right? We don't see anything else here about this raven. The raven just kept going to and fro until the waters of the earth were dried up. But verse eight tells us though that he also sent out, Noah that is, right? He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. Now, this is an important point to understand here. The specific purpose that Noah sent out the dove was to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. So keep that in mind. This dove was to find out if the ground itself was dry, right? And I'll come back to that thought, but just let's keep reading here. Verse nine, but the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned into the ark to him for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and he took her and he drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days. And again, he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew, that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. So the dove comes back with a freshly plucked olive leaf in her mouth, right? Now I have a picture here for you of an olive tree in its infancy, right? It's just a few inches high. It's like this. This is an olive tree in its infancy when it just gets started out. It's just a a few inches high, right? So the dove was to go out, and we already read that the dove had to put her sole on, the sole of her foot, on the earth, right? This would tell Noah that the ground was dry. That was the purpose for the dove going out, that the ground was dry. So what we can deduce is that this olive tree was really just a couple of inches high. How do we come to all that? We'll just put it all together. Everything we've just said. The dove's job was to see if the, s- the ground was dry and put her sole of her feet on the ground. So if she goes to pluck an olive leaf somewhere, it's probably something like this, which tells us what? The earth is already springing forth again. The earth is already uh, coming, you know, beginning to, to grow, right? So you gotta read the scriptures in their context. Um, the the dove 's job was to do this, get this freshly plugged, plucked olive leaf in her mouth. Really the, the dove 's job was to see if the ground was dry, but, but he came back, she came back with this leaf, right? So the good news is, is that even after the flood, the ground could still produce as God had originally intended for it to do. that 's why I pointed out to you what, what was destroyed from the earth, everything that had breath. Right? Every living thing, all the animals, all the human beings, all of that was all destroyed. But the earth could now produce again. Right? And I I point these things out to you because people love to debate these kind of things. Right? They want to debate these kind of things. They want to say, well, wait a minute. If God destroyed everything, how did the seeds in the ground survive? How did the, how was their, where did they get their food from now? You know? So people come and say, well, maybe Noah took seeds on the ark or whatever. But if you just simply read the word in its context, you just simply read the word in its context, you find out the answer's right there. And, and who, who's to say? You know, it wasn't a 30 foot olive tree. Right. This is this is an olive tree at its start and it has leaves on it. Flesh, fleshly. What's that? You know, so there's a leaf there for that dove to fl- uh, freshly pluck, right? So anyway, but all of this is very simple to understand if you just take the time to read the Word of God and to seek Him. But for those still lost in sin today, right, they, they try to come up with ways to deny God. And if they can mock His Word, then they can let go of their guilty conscience as it pertains to sin. If they can deny the flood, they can say, well, we deny the Bible. Well, we deny God, right? So they make their attempts to do so, right? But you know, you can pass all the laws you want. You can rainbow everything you want. You can post the rainbows on your Facebook if you want. But in the end, God is going to have the last word. And God will not be mocked, right? And it is his word that we as believers must stand upon. It is his word that has given us hope and a future, right? It is his word that tells us that God loves mankind. He hates the sin that has taken mankind away from him, but he loves the sinner. And let's not forget that sin is sin. Yes, our nation is is concentrated on flaunting one particular type of sin right now, but there are all kinds of sin in the world. But God's grace is extended out today to whosoever will. Anyone and everyone can turn from their sin and come to the living God. And keep in mind that it was Jesus that asked the question. He said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye, hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is what Jesus said. So we first need to make sure that we're walking in the way that we should be walking that we're living in accordance with God's word, that we're standing upon it, that we're not succumbing to what everyone else around us is doing. And we must look at our lives and say, well, I have been or I am, and then we must repent and we must get these things out of our lives and turn and seek God because the waters are rising and it's time to escape the judgment. But let's move on. Verse 13 And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked. And indeed, the surface of the ground was dry. Now, that 601st year mentioned here in verse 13 is not the 601st year from the beginning of time. Because remember, we've already studied uh, many years of people that lived, right? Methuselah lived to be 900 and some years old. So it's not talking about that, right? If you look back at chapter seven, let's do that. Let's look back at chapter seven again. And look down at verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, In the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. So that's when the flood began, the 600th year of Noah's life, the second month and the 17th day of that month, okay? So the time of the flood that we're seeing here is in in accordance with Noah's life. So if we look back at chapter 8, Verse 13 again, it says, and it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. So here in this verse, we see that it was just about a year from the beginning of the flood until Noah looked out and saw dry land. Right? We can deduce that, right? It's easy to calculate. And then verse 14 says, and in the second month on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dry. Now, what's being said here? Because verse 13 tells us there that it was the first month, the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth. But then in verse 14, it tells us that the second month on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. So what's up with this? Well, if you take time to dig a little deeper, You'll, you'll first of all see that there is a different Hebrew word used for the word dried and dry in these two verses. And I'm not going to get into those words right now. You can look them up later if you'd like. But remember, the waters were continually receding. This is what I want to point out to you. The waters were continually receding. Noah's Ark was able to first come and rest upon the mountain, right? Right? So at least that part of the ground was dry somewhat, right? And Noah's eyesight could see, and he could look out so far. Remember, he looked out, he could see, right, dry land. So as he looked out, from what he could see, the ground was dry. But that didn't mean that all the earth was dry. That didn't mean that the parts down below, he's way up here in the ark, looking out the top of the window. He sees, oh yeah, I see some dry mountain peaks over there. I see some dry land, but is everything dry? I don't know. Is everything dry at this point? So in verse 13, Noah could see dry land from his vantage point, point, but in verse 14, God confirms in his word that from God's vantage point, the whole earth is dry, right? Then God, verse 15, then God spoke to Noah saying, go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Now, once again, if you look back at chapter 7 real quickly, verse 1, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. So here Noah is told by God to come into the ark. And then a year later, In chapter 8, verse 16, he's told to go out of the ark. In chapter 7, we are told that the animals came to Noah to get on the ark, and in chapter 8, it's now Noah's responsibility to bring the animals off the ark. God brought the animals to Noah, if you remember, we studied that. But here is now Noah's responsibility to get them off of the ark. Chapter 8, verse 17 is what I'm talking about here. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird and whatever creeps on the earth according to their families went out of the ark. So everything is beginning again at this point. The animals and the insects are are now going to replenish the whole earth and abound on the earth, it says, right? They're going to abound on the earth again. This replenishing process is beginning. Life begins anew for Noah and his family as well. And Noah knows that the first thing he needs to do after all this, what's the first thing he needs to do? He needs to worship God. He needs to honor God. Look at verse 20. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took every clean animal of every clean, and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. So remember, Noah took seven pairs of every clean animal on the ark. We saw that in chapter 7, verse 2. When we studied that a couple of weeks ago, I told you that Noah would be using them for sacrifice. That's why he bought, brought extra Of those clean. That's why God had him bring extra of those clean animals, right? So even before the law of Moses, there was the sacrifice of clean animals on the altar in worship of God. Now, seven pairs is really not all that many, right? These animals still needed to reproduce and and replenish the earth. So these animals are very valuable, right? God didn't want them to become extinct. But Noah knew that he had to worship God in this way. So now, how is it that we sacrifice today unto God? We're not under the law, right? So we're not sacrificing clean animals, right? That's not the way of the New Testament. But we are still to sacrifice unto God. Let me just show you a couple of scriptures. I want you to turn, mark this page, and turn to the New Testament book of Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. Okay, again, I'm asking the question, what are we to sacrifice today? How are we to sacrifice today? Romans 12, 1. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So when it says there that we are to uh, present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, That simply means that our entire lives are sacrificed unto Him, right? Everything we do, every decision we make is placed on an altar before God, in a sense, and offered up before Him. We become people of prayer, okay? We we live, we move, we have our being in Him, the Bible says. You see, so many people that profess Christianity don't live in this manner. They make decisions on their own without considering the Lord. But everything about us is to be sacrificed and laid down before God. Think about this in a practical manner. You read the word and and you see the way in which God's word says that we should live, right? Or how we should be. So what are we to do? Well, we then base all of our decisions on his word. Where should you live? What should you buy? Where should you work? Who should you vote for? What should you do? All of this stuff. Bring all of your life as a sacrifice to God. And say, God, show me your will for my life. Okay? If you read the word of God and you see that a decision or a path is is contrary to his word, well, then you don't go that way. It doesn't matter how you feel. Or it doesn't matter what everyone else around you is doing or what other people think you should do. You're committed to live God's way. So you make your decisions, you choose what you do in life based on seeking God. Now this, don't, this doesn't mean you become a monk and you sit around and do nothing. You keep active, you keep going. But seek God in your life. Place His kingdom first above all else, right? So in a very practical manner, this is how we sacrifice today. Our lives, are living sacrifices everything about us, right? And then verse 2 tells us there in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So again, as your life is laid down on the altar before God, you don't make decisions based on what the world around you is doing. If you jump on board with this world, you can rest assured that you're not on board with Jesus and you're not on board with the Word of God if you're following in the ways of the world. Just look at what the world is doing today when compared to the Word of God. But God will not be mocked. This world and the people that make the decisions against the Word of God will pay the price for their sin. But what side are you on? Obeying the the Word? or conforming to the world. That's really the only choice we have. Do we obey the word or do we conform to the world? If you've come to Christ, well then your mind needs to be renewed and you need to start caring about like what it says there in verse two, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? That's what we need to care about. What's the will of God, okay? Now what's another way that we can sacrifice to God today? Turn toward the back of your Bible and find Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. And let's start reading down in verse 12. Okay? Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate. Therefore let us go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach, okay? So in other words this is given us and I'm kind of jumping in in the middle of something here, but this is kind of given us the idea that that uh, when you serve in Jesus, you're you're outside of the rest of the world. You know, it's different, okay? But therefore let us go forth to him outside Bearing, outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For we have no continuing city. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. So what's that telling us? It's telling us that the, this world is not our home. Okay? We're just passing through. So we have to be careful not to conform to the ways of this world and to the sin that's all around us, right? No matter what decision people make, no matter what laws they pass, No matter what happens, right? We stand on the word of God. But what are we to do? Verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So there's another sacrifice for us, right? Praise the Lord. Use your mouth to speak praises unto him, by giving him thanks for who he is and for what he has done. Use your mouth to honor the Lord in this life, right? Do this as it says there in verse 15, do this continually, okay? Seek first the kingdom of God. Of course, we live in this nation and we're told in scriptures that we are to be obedient people, to to the law, right? We don't go around breaking the law. That's not our desire. That's not God's desire for our lives. But when the laws begin to change to be against the word of God, we run into a problem. The waters are rising at that point. And it's time to draw nearer to God. And it's time to take a stand upon the word of God and be obedient to the word of God and not conform to this world. But... Verse 16 tells us, but do not forget to do good and to share with such sacrifices. God is well pleased. So another sacrifice is to be a giving person, right? It sometimes hurts to give, doesn't it? But God is well pleased when you do and you're a giving person. But these are just some examples, a couple examples here of how we sacrifice unto God today. And back in Genesis chapter 8, go ahead and flip back there. We'll finish this out. Verse 21 says of Noah's sacrifice, and the Lord smelled a smoothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So judgment has come and gone at this point. And for now, Noah is doing the right thing, isn't he? Man is getting started on the right track here because God is is satisfied with this sacrifice of Noah. He is pleased with it. Though he knows what is in the heart of man, he still, he, he has no desire to destroy everything again as he did with the flood. And then verse 22 says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest... Cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Okay, so notice there that God says in verse 22 at the beginning, While the earth remains, okay, because that's important because we know from Revelation that the earth is not always going to remain, heaven and earth will pass away. You remember what we studied in Revelations, but until that day until that day of judgment comes, the earth is going to continue to function. The seasons will go on over and over. There will be a time to plant, a time to harvest, as long as the earth remains. There will be day and there will be night, as long as the earth remains. But again, we know that the earth, as we now know it, will cease to exist someday. Because there's another judgment yet to come. And that judgment will be the final judgment. You can listen to our studies in Revelations for more on that. But for now, the thought that I will leave you with today is that the waters are rising. In other words, the signs of the times are waxing worse and worse. Mankind is, turn, is turning further and further away from the truth of God's Word. Mankind is now mocking God. So what about you? Is your life a living sacrifice or are you allowing yourself to conform to this world? Okay? There's still time. And we need to repent and we need to turn to the living God and we need to offer up our lives as living sacrifices unto God and we need to point others around us to the love of God in His Word that there's still time. The waters are rising, but there's still time to get on board. There's still time for salvation, but that time is rapidly given the appearance that it's coming short, it's it's coming to a close. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again we thank you for your holy word, thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather here in your name. I pray for our hearts as individuals as we study your word and as we hear it, Lord, that we will not be forgetful hearers, Lord, of your word, but that that we will be doers of it. Lord, that we in our own hearts and in our own minds would not conform to this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we would present our bodies as living sacrifices, Lord, holy and acceptable to you, Lord. This is what pleases you, Lord, is our hearts, our lives being surrendered to you. We pray for our nation, even as we speak of it today. We pray for the repentance of this nation, the United States of America, that our nation would turn to the living God, that there would be a revival in this nation, that your Holy Spirit would work in the hearts of our leaders. We pray for our leaders. We pray for our president, Lord. We pray for our Congress, for each and every member, Lord, of the of of our government, Lord. We, we pray for them even now, Lord, that they would not mock you, that they would not mock your word, Lord, that we would turn and, and truly be one nation under God. Not a God that we make up, not a God that we construct, not a God that we craft with our own hands, but the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we would turn to you, the living God. I pray that you would have mercy on us as a nation, as a people. I pray that it would begin with us, though, as individuals, that we, Lord, would direct our hearts and our minds to you and who you are. Pour out your Spirit, Lord. Pour out your Spirit upon us, we pray. Again, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name.